on this week's bet the process podcast we have i think a rufus and i's um opinion one of the best guests we've ever had shane sigsby he talks a little bit about the top-down approach and how um, a recreational better can learn from him in terms of reading the market and reading line moves and with that let's start the process Bet the process. Bet, 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 bet the process. Welcome to the podcast. Bet the process. It's not the typical cookie cutter nonsense. If you came just for picks, you're in the wrong place. Find a talent with the narrative to make a strong case. Instead of blindly assuming a team must be tanking, we're looking for the edge of Massey Peabody rankings. Crunching all the numbers in a simulated system that break down the data analytically driven. Media coverage of sports gambling is pathetic. Welcome to another episode of the Bet the Process podcast. This is the post-Super Bowl episode. We actually skipped last week um, because Rufus was, you know, kind of had made so many enemies on Twitter, tweeting out all of his winning tickets, acting like he never, never loses. Um, never a popular thing to do. We're actually joined by a very special guest, Shane Sigsby, who um, Rufus has been telling me about for many, many years. And I finally get the chance to meet. So, Shane, let's start with a little intro on why Rufus man crushes on you so much. What have you done to make the uh, number three sports better in the world uh, like you so much and respect you so much? Uh, I don't know. I think there's some uh, hidden meaning behind that. Um, but I don't know. Uh, Rufus and I um, met through some mutual friends, Stephen and Peter, out in Denver. And... Rufus likes to play golf. And so when he comes to Vegas, we generally get out and play some golf. And, uh, you know, we're both in the same industry, but kind of come at things at, at a different, from a different direction. And so I was like learning from him how he does things. And then I think I can give him insight into how we do things and um, how markets move. And, you know, it's been a mutually beneficial relationship and we've become good friends over the last couple of years. So by industry, I assume you mean sports betting, not podcasting, because Rufus is like, <laughs> apparently according to Seth Byrne, barely in the media business so in terms of sports betting um you say you guys come at this from different directions so like you win typically and he loses is that what you mean or uh, what do you mean by different directions <laughs> hey, Jeff I you didn't see think... my tickets that I tweeted out I did actually yeah. you ex- I, what, what do you x out when you x out things on those t- like why do you guys bother tweeting out tickets if you're going to X out things on them? It's, you, it's like- you exit, you X out the uh, the ticket number, Barking. so the bar. Yeah. So otherwise, someone could go and say, "Hey, I have a lost uh, file, a lost ticket report," and say it's that like number. When those and then they cancel out. that. It's, it's and then like I have to wait dipshits- six months to get paid out. Like I still would get paid out on it rather than this person, but you know, because I would actually have the ticket. But and it's I have a player's card and all that, but. I don't think there's a huge risk, but at the same time, I'd rather not like when you have as many enemies as I do, apparently, according to Jeff. Wait, you have a player's card at a casino? How'd you get that? Oh, not at a casino. I just have oh, a player's card. Sorry, Shane, we interrupted you. So you come at this from the different standpoint. We'll call Rufus the originator, Spanky the market maker. Which side are you on? I think I take a very similar approach to Spanky. I think he calls it a top-down approach, but uh, just looking at numbers, basically believing in efficient markets, um, that numbers are what they are and just have no opinion. And I'm like Spanky too. I couldn't name me a player on any of these teams. I know nothing about sports betting. Um, I know numbers, but I don't know anything about uh, 
I don't know anything about any of the, the teams or the players on the teams or the, you know, the, the massy Peabody uh, system, or I couldn't do anything like that. So ex- explain to me how, like the, the anatomy of a bet for you, like, you know, you, what, what happens, what, what goes on, what causes you to make a bet? Like Rufus process is does a model comes up with what the real line is compares it to what the actual line is, does some regression with the market, blah, 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 comes up with this true number. And then if there's enough value, he bets. What's your counter process to that? What? It's a good summary. Uh, ours is literally just watching markets uh, from when they open at 6 a.m. to but just when explain, the game goes like, off. The common person doesn't explain what watching markets means. Like, what, what, are, you, what so, are you doing? Like, what's the literal thing that you're doing? Watching a Donbass screen and watching how the lines move across the world. And figuring so Don Best is software that that shows you the 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 lines at a bunch of different locations, correct? Yep. And then watching how are these all legal the, locations? Or are they offshore? What what's on Don Best? They they have every book in the world. I mean, they have everything from Costa Rica to U.S. legal books to European books to Asia to everywhere. Um, you know, there's there's obviously a few like local bookie type places that, that don't have their lines on Don Best, but I would say 97% of lines in the world are on Don Best. Um, you know, and it may be an injury news play. Maybe uh, a group is moving an NHL line and, you know, we're just watching as those lines move. And then, you know, some people call it steam chasing, kind of getting in there with the slow numbers, but then we're also just looking for arbitrage opportunities where, you know, one book may, you know, have minus six and a half and another book, has plus seven and a half and you can get a little reduced juice on one side. And, you know, we know that's worth 18 cents and we know we can pay 14 cents for it. And we really think the line is seven. So neither one of them are really that great, but we just know that, you know, paying 14 cents for something worth 18 cents is going to be plus EV. So the reason you you know the line is seven is because you're just still reading the market or the originators you trust at that point to get what you think the real line should be. No, that's just like the consensus line everywhere. Are there certain books that you trust more uh, to be, I guess, more efficient than others that you're basing yeah, things off it, of? Like, I mean, yeah, traditionally it, it, Pinnacle and Chris for American sports, but. Yeah, I think, I think in the last couple of years, I think Chris, I, I trust more than Pinnacle. Pinnacle has reduced their limits so much um, in the last couple of years. And the sharp groups out there, they know that they can manipulate the market with Pinnacle just for such a cheap price and that people still follow Pinnacle. So I definitely trust Chris a little bit more on, on most things. There's some things that Pinnacle is still really deep on uh, NBA full game sides, NFL full game sides um, where I'll give Pinnacle more credit. But when Pinnacle is letting you bet, you know, a thousand bucks on a college basketball side or 500 bucks on a college basketball total, you just can't really give them any credit. Um, and we're looking at other places. Um, it just depends on the sport, you know, with NHL, um, you know, we're looking at matchbook. We're looking at Betfair, We're looking at Chris, um, you know, with another sport, we may be looking at heritage. You know, there's there's one specific sport where people play into heritage first, and heritage is, is a, law, a small limit place, but we think someone has maybe a multiplier account. They're playing their plays into heritage first, and we just know that that's the right side. You know, we've seen it. I mean, we're watching the lines 12 hours a day, seven days a week. We've just seen, you know, heritage move first on this one derivative of this one sport, and everybody else follow five minutes later. So are you tracking, do you have, I mean, obviously you're not making your own numbers, but are you, to me, I feel like there has to be some sort of quantitative process here of like you keeping records of um, looking at when lines move and what follows and being able to say, you know, if heritage moves at this time, then, you know, there's a good chance that 
there's a 75% chance the market follows, but you know, whatever, a smaller chance that it could just be a dummy line move. I mean, how I know Spanky has said that it takes years and years to get its experience that it makes someone a good trader. Like there's just this yeah, intuition. Well, the, you get. The, so, I mean, you yeah, haven't been in this as long more, as Spanky, but what's, yeah, definitely yeah. not. I would say it's more intuition based because the problem is it's a cat and mouse game. Like the reason why steam chasers get such a bad rep is because we go ruin, you know, the, the way that the originators want to get down, you know, we see how they're manipulating the market and then we go front run their order. So it's a cat and mouse game because like once they see that we're front running their order based on them moving the, you know, X, Y, Z book, then they're, they're going to go about it a different way, you know, a week later. So it's more intuition based because what works, you know, today isn't necessarily going to kind of work two weeks from now or three weeks from now. So I know the, the, what do you think of the term steam chaser? I know it's, it's, it doesn't have a great connotation in the industry. I know it's, um, yeah, I think, I think most people, when they say that, like, you know, if a book is kicking us out, they're like, you know, they love calling you a steam chaser and like, you know, they're, you know, you know, they're being derogatory toward you, but I mean, that's for, that's for them to, you know, decide if that's a derogatory term or not. Um, I'm not like too proud to say, I'm not too proud to say that we're someone that we're not, you know, like I always tell people what we do and, and how basic it is and how I, I'd have no chance to create a, a an origination line or a, a model. Um, so when people call us that, I'm like, look, it's what we do, you know, like, this is just what we do for a living. This is, you know, our way to skin the cat. There's a lot of ways to skin the cat and sports betting. Um, again, I think the originator groups, you know, they, they get high on their, on their podium and, and you don't, but a lot of these originator groups get high on their podium that, you know, they're so proud that they were able to create a model for one sport, um, that wins at, you know, four to 5%, 3%, whatever it is depending on the sport. And then, you know, they, they kind of talk down to us like, Oh, like, you know, like you're steam chasing, like we fake you out, you know, like what you do is like, not that special. Like you'll see people tweet out, you know, like I did the spanky podcast and then like people were like tweeting out, they're like, Oh, he's just a steam chaser. Like, that's not that impressive. It's like, it really isn't that impressive what we do. Like I could like teach like a layman, like what we do in 30 minutes, but it still works. It's not, it's not that impressive what I do either. Just ask Jeff. I don't even know what you do, Rufus. I just see tickets on Twitter and all the shit's blacked out. So I have no idea what that all means. Um, Shane, so how, like, okay, so let's, let's not get into the dick measuring contest of like, who's better Rufus or you let's, I'd love to sort of talk about like how you got into this and why, you know, why you would do this. Like in my, like, you know, feeble sort of understanding of, of of what you guys do it's one of the things that i would say is like it, it, you know like i used to trade options on equities and on the chicago uh, board of options exchange and the people there like said similar things like oh we know how to read the market you know you know when the market's gonna move a certain direction there's obviously a lot more money to be made in those markets than there is in sports betting just because the liquidity is so much bigger and just the volume is so much bigger so how did, how did you get into sports betting? And, you know, from that standpoint, like, why do you, why, why is this the place that you want to, cause I was like kind of reading, you do like real estate investing too and, and whatnot. Mm -hmm. So like, how, why is this what you want to do? So I graduated from Notre Dame with a finance degree. I took a job actually on the SIBO. Um, I don't want to interrupt you, but I took a, a job on the SIBO. you trade for? Maker. I traded for group one. Okay. I traded for O'Connor and Associates back in the day. So, okay. Like, so this yeah, is was... in the early nineties. So I'm, I'm okay. I'm so I was there, I was there uh, fall of 07 through summer of 09. So it was very different um, when I was there. 
Yeah. Like when I was there, people were, there wasn't nearly the electronic trading and all that kind of stuff. And people were doing regressions on a sheet of notebook paper, right, Jeff? What's up? They were running regressions with the sheet of notebook paper. Manually. People weren't running regressions, but like people were literally, you still were trading with like, you were calculating things on your hand and, you know, like you're calculating what your delta was in certain positions and how much stock you had to buy to hedge your risk. You were doing it on on like a calculator or on a piece of paper. Like it. I ended up losing my job in the summer of 09. I was kind of low man on the totem pole. And I was playing poker at the time, but I was kind of like a low to mid stakes poker player. Was never really that great. Um, and I left to uh, go travel around for a year. I was good enough at poker to kind of make ends meet to stay at hostels, basically. You know, like I wasn't staying anywhere nice. But my uh, my girlfriend at the time, my now wife, um, and I went and traveled around the world playing poker. Uh, I was playing poker. She was uh, doing freelance journalism for about a year. And we eventually landed in Vegas. And along the way, I started backing poker players. Um, I, I started meeting poker players that were a lot better than me. And they kept talking about their backer. And I was fascinated with the concept and would ask, oh, your backer, like, who is it, you know? And the answer was always, oh, it's a brother or a cousin or a friend. You know, the answer was never, hey, this company backs me. Um, and the company that I worked for as a trading company, it basically was three traders who were super successful in the 90s that got out of the game and, and trained other people to trade and, and were backing them, you know, and we had a profit split and everything else. So my idea back in 2010 was to, to back poker players and structure it the same way uh, that the trading company I worked for did. Um, and so I did that from like 2000. 10 to, well, I'm still doing it today, but I, I started in 2010 and eventually landed in Vegas in 2012. Um, and then in about 2015, I was walking through a casino and walking through a sports book and I'd, I'd never bet a sport game in my life. And uh, we can tell because like, you just said sport game. People that actually yeah, bet you're, sport you're, don't say you're sport a, You're a golfer and you've never bet a sport game, huh? Sure. Sport game. I mean, I, yeah, I, I may have bet a couple in uh, in college for a hundred bucks, but regardless, I was walking through a casino and I was fascinated with it. it was baseball season. I'll never forget. And I was fascinated with the concept that, that all of these lines were up on, uh, it was the, at the wild, wild west, the truck stop on Tropicana. And I was fascinated with all these lines were up on the board, you know, and they were all handwritten and stuff. And, and I was like, wait a second. I was like, every casino in town, like has lines on this. And some of them, you know, differ. So like I took a picture of the board and, and basically, you know, walked to, I think it was the Orleans. And I was like, I wonder if any of these places are different. You know, and with baseball, it's easy, right? Like if one place has minus 112 and one place has plus 116, like it's not that hard to figure out how to make money. You don't need to know anything about the sport, you know? So I walked over to the Orleans and I'm like, dang, I'm like, sure enough, you know, like some of these places, you know, like some of these lines, they've got some arbitrage here. Wait, I'm going to call bullshit on that. I was, I was betting baseball in 2010. You don't see like, I mean, there aren't, there are, opportunities to get an off-market price but there is rarely an arbitrage like straight arbitrage opportunity in vegas at least from my experience Look, this this is how i remember the story don't run with facts okay okay <laughs> um so my idea back in 2015 was just basically simple hey look you know if you can bet one place here you can bet another place here uh and there's arbitrage there um you know, then there's an opportunity to be had. And, uh, you know, soon after that, I found out about a Don Best screen and, and figured out, look, I don't need to walk from one casino to another. Um, I can just look at it on, you know, a screen. And then also that was just the same exact time that mobile wagering was coming to Vegas. I mean, stations, Westgate, South Point, Boyd, all these places, William Hill, all these places were launching mobile apps right around that same time. So not only could I just watch the, the lines on my screen, but I could just have it all from my phone, you know? And so, um, in 2015, I started doing it and I was just doing it as a hobby. I wasn't really doing it. I had poker staking was going great. And, um, 
I wasn't looking for a second business or anything, but started doing it as a hobby, maybe five or 10 hours a week and um, was making money from it. The, the edge was just crazy to be had back there. I'd, I'd cut off all my fingers to have to have that edge today, but uh, it was it was a lot easier back then. And, and then in 2016, I was kind of like, you know what? I was like, I, I think I want to hire someone and, and come have someone come in and, and help me do it. Um, and so that's how I got started in it. Kind of long-winded, but that's how I got started. I guess the second part of the question was, why do I still do it today? I don't know. I mean, it's, it's a very successful business. It's my most successful business. Um, I, I guess money. I mean, I can't think of any other reason. It's interesting to me because you're not talking about very long ago and Rufus calling bullshit on you, you know, from betting baseball in 2010 and having markets be efficient. It's surprising to me that there's still that much money to be had purely from playing the market, right? Do you, now, you're not just purely doing arbitrage, right? You are reading the market and taking positions based on the way, the direction the market is going, correct? Yeah, we're still taking positions on which way the market's going. But eventually, as the market goes, some book overreaches and they're going to give you a close to a big free price on the opposite side. Um, so we're, we're trying to buy back as much as we can. You know, as if we think a market's going, we'll put on a a large position for us that, you know, I don't think it's that large for other groups, but we'll put a large position on for us and then we'll buy back the other side at the tail end of the move. If we can get, you know, close to big free on the other side. I mean, we, we, we try to be risk neutral as much as possible. Um, sometimes it's just not possible. You know, you lay seven, you know, the market's going to eight and a half. Everybody goes to eight and a half, but nobody posts plus nine, you know? Um, and in that situation, you're just left with the minus seven, but you're in a, you know, in a great spot. In the situations and- where you don't get to risk neutral, what percentage, uh, what, what do you think your win percentage is roughly? I don't know. I, I know our hold percentage is right around 1% on those situations. I, I don't look at, at win percentage because sure. it differs by big and whatnot, yeah, but we're, we're holding about 1% there. What is that relative? Do you keep track of like what your theoretical should be based on the closing line? Yeah. Yeah. Our theoretical is about double. We, we about, we underperform by about 50%. I mean, it makes sense. Everybody underperforms their theoretical. Yeah. Regardless. Yeah, for, so, for a long time, I for a long time I thought we were running bad, and then you know after a billion dollars in volume or something, you're like, eh, maybe I'm not running that bad. Billion dollars, damn. Um, no, but to to your point um, about lines over moving, I mean, then this is a smaller market, but back I remember back in 2010, 2011, 2012, um, with our golf when we were moving through a bunch of different you know betting partners and and we would bet something at minus 110 that I would have priced at like minus 125. And if we were, we'd been on a hot streak or something, it moves all the way up to minus 150. And I could have gotten, you know, locked in plus 130 on the other side. And there's times it went even more than that. Like literally I was like, I could get minus 110 and get plus 145 coming back the other way. Um, But the problem is the move was generally by a lot of these betting partners who saw that how well we were doing. And we're like, Oh, this must be, you know, based on how I was doing, they must be, you know, they continued to steam it. And so we couldn't really come back on the other side, unfortunately for, for very much, for very much at least. But, but I I do understand lines being overmoved by some of these groups. Um, Yeah. It's kind of like, it's kind of like right angle. I mean, they're, they're overmoving their lines huge. I mean, we, we subscribe to right angle and it's not for the front end. It's for the back end of their moves. Because you want to know who co- that they were the ones that caused the move, and then you're going to end up betting the other side. Yeah, their subscribers just way, way over moved their markets. 
I mean, college basketball totals aren't off by seven points. Do you think they're, nice do you think, here, here's a question. Do you think their subscribers as a whole actually win money off of it then? If they're, if they're, if they have like diligence and, you know, like, um, what's that word Discipline. I'm looking for? Discipline. Discipline. Yeah. Thank Discipline. you. I'm a, I'm a math only... guy. I'm a math guy, not a vocab guy. Um, yeah. Well, Discipline, Discipline only to bet it. You're saying discipline only to bet ones that are in range and not about the chase, release price. Because if they chase, they're going to get effed. Oh, but yeah. Clearly, um, someone's chasing. They're right? definitely, yeah. They're definitely winning. I, I, I think so, very yeah. highly of those guys. Okay. So let's go back to sort of the, the, the origin story, i.e., in this case, the origin story of the line and where you're actually making profit. So essentially what's happening is that that this is like a fluid market, meaning that like it, it moves over time and timing, you can get in a certain point and then get out at a certain point. It's basically just like a stock market, right? You're just buying high and selling low. Yeah, sorry, the problem buying low in, and selling high. And, and yeah, the problem we, in this market is you got to pay 4.55% when you sell out. Right. Now, what is... So why, why sell you, out? Why not just take well, on more risk generally? If you can get, I mean, if you can turn that 4.55 into zero, you you know, it's great. But like, again, in that original example I gave of lane seven, the market moves to eight and a half. I don't want the plus eight and a half minus 110, even though minus seven and plus eight and a half, depending on what sport you're talking about, but most sports that's plus EV. Um, I still don't want to pay that eight and a half minus one ten. You know, I'm looking for plus nine minus one ten or plus eight and a half. Even. But if if the market was plus nine minus one ten, would you still play the plus nine minus one ten? No. No. So it's only if you have an off market price. Yeah. At, okay. Some somebody that's overmoved, that's out of line with the rest of the market. So is your is your superpower the ability to read markets, or is it the operation that you have in place to be able to deploy capital? I think we're better at number two than number one. It's hard to build an infrastructure. And I, I think like what we do is so simple. And that's one of the reasons why I, I talk so freely about what we do. I don't really hide what we do. I'll tell you how liquidity flows into the market. Um, but I think it's very hard to build an infrastructure to take advantage of that system. Right. So I think number two, I think is what is our secret sauce more than number one. I think, I think a lot more today than there were three years ago. I mean, it's, you just see how quick, you know, a line gets off and, you know, like we know, like the guy behind the station's counter isn't, you know, necessarily like moving their line that fast. And we just, but we just know they're moving it because seven groups just like us are hitting it all at the same time. I think we're the biggest one that does this. Yeah, I think we have the biggest reach. I think that we have the largest amount of capital. I think we do the most volume, but I think there's a lot of groups doing exactly what we do that we're, we're not doing a whole lot, anything different than they are. We just have a larger, we, we were kind of at it first and we have a larger group right now. It's, it's so funny that question because I'm asked that a lot by people like, oh, how many people bet on sports for a living in the US? And I, li- I, I, you know, I can venture a ballpark guess, but I, I don't know. I don't know how many people there are out there doing what I do for a living. It's yeah. Well, but he might, I mean, he might actually know because his, his, he net, knows like people he, in Vegas. You can just doing, sit right. in your, his you, people are running into other people. Well, not just Vegas, right? If it's global and there's like syndicates and partnerships that like he's having a, he's created like, Shane to me, you're like more of a, like, I, I think this, the idea of that secret sauce is interesting because the ability to set up the opportunity to bet in that different locations and to, to sort of capitalize on your ability to read the market. Can, let's talk a little bit about this, this idea of, of, of reading the market um, because essentially you have to trust the moves at different places. Right. And, and mm-hmm. do you, do you often, when you do that, 
do you start to put names or sort of faces to moves meaning like you're like oh i bet that was x group that moved that there because we know they always bet early there they're particularly good at nba or they know even like the celtics really well this is this is something we should move on yeah definitely um i can give the example with golf and and uh, rufus always swears it's not him but um, you know, when we see Chris kind of first to, to the move, so, I mean, Chris on these head to head matchups on just random events, I mean, they're taking just gigantic limits, you know, and we see them kind of first to the move. And like, we always say like, Oh, there goes Rufus, you know? And like, I don't know if that's true or not. And Rufus is going to tell me if that's true or not, but, but yeah, we do, you know? And then, you know, if we see like NH- NHL move, you know, we've seen some sharp information from uh, a group out of Europe. Uh, Can I stop NHL. for a second, just for those sure. people, cause we don't release this video. Rufus had a shit-eating I just, I just grin. said no comment. He, he had a shit-eating grin the whole I said time no com- I said no comment. That. Okay, go ahead. Sorry, go on. Um, so every now and then we see some sharp uh, NHL information out of a group out of Europe, and, like, we know how they put that liquidity into the market. And so when we see that happening, you know, like, we think, like, oh, there go the XYZ um, group. Um, What's your you name know, for I them? Think- I-, I love how all these groups have names, you know? There's like, yeah, they do. there's the pokers, there's the Russians, just from, you know, there's the, I don't know, all the groups. Yeah. So funny. Yeah. It's kind of like the Italians, but it's not the Italians. Um, but anyways, uh, so I think the biggest thing though, is when you're reading these markets is figuring out what books are taking what limits, you know, like if you can look and see like, Oh, pinnacle, for example, is taking $500 on a college basketball total. Like again, like if pinnacle moves a total, like we just don't even pay attention. That's like a non-factor. It does, that means absolutely nothing. You know? Okay. But you said heritage, for example, at a time, like was actually a book because of some with the multiplier count, like back, like the pinnacle accounts people had back in the day. Um, yeah, you know, the multiplier accounts, but how do you, how do you know that? How do you, is that just by, by seeing over and over, especially like you said, that these groups of originators are changing up their pattern so that there isn't to try to essentially take away that trail. Right. I mean, so the thing about the thing about heritage and the reason why I say that is I've heard about multiplier accounts with heritage and I've never had a multiplier account. So I don't know even what that means or how that exactly works, but I know that there are multiplier accounts out on heritage, you know, and the thing about heritage is they take tiny limits. They take like 300 bucks, 500 bucks on most sports. So normally when you would see heritage move, you wouldn't pay attention to it at all. But again, you look at a market 12 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year, and you just see like a common theme. And I won't tell you like what exact derivative of what sport it is, but let's say that you saw on heritage that they were the first to move on NHL first period totals, you know? And like, you just see it over and over. You're like, geez, like there goes heritage again. And then five minutes later, there goes the rest of the market, you know, like, you just know that like whoever has that, that multiplier account, their thing is NHL first period totals. And that's the thing is like each group that's out there, they're only good at one sport. You know, like there's no group that's like unbelievable. They've got this unbelievable model at three sports. And I don't know what goes into making a model. You can speak to that better than I could, but I don't, I don't know a single group that's unbelievable at a bunch of different sports. They all specialize in one, they all specialize in one sport and they all, get down their liquidity in a certain way. You know, like we know this one group um, out of Mexico, we know the, how they filter their, their action into the market. We know what sport they're good at, you know? And so, and again, that's just like from, you know, relationship building, watching markets over time, like just like Spanky said, it takes a long time to like see how this stuff happens. And, you know, we're getting better at it, but geez, we still have a lot to learn. Like, just like you guys are saying, we're so new at this. Like Spanky's been doing this for two decades. We've been doing this for five years, you know, and, and really only full-time for a few, few years. 
Are your traders like taking notes on these things when it happens or is it literally just all in their head or are you kind of essentially, I mean, like you can, so, you can find all this, I mean, with the Don Best screen and if you can get that data, I mean, you could like look through and be like, okay, let's, you know, um, at yeah, this time this moved pull, or is it, up, but I feel like yeah, you can pull up way, archives. You learn more. I feel like you can learn more in real time in a way though. Yeah. So, so my traders have different ways of doing it. My head trader, Jason, um, he's like rain man. I mean, he remembers everything. If you asked him about, how a line moved on a random college basketball game three days ago, he could tell you how it moved, how the liquidity filled into the market, what group was probably doing it. It's just crazy what he can remember. And he doesn't write anything down, but his memory is just insane. The guy works a hundred hours a week and he, he remembers everything like, like nobody I've ever seen in my life. Yeah. And you've met Jason, you know, Jason really well. Yeah. Um, Dan, uh, who's another trader of mine, he's very nuanced. He's very, he takes notes on everything. He, you know, he's always studying archive histories. You know, he's looking at, you know, cause if, if it's the same day, you can pull up the, the timestamps on all the line moves that day. But if you want to research something two days ago or three days ago, you got to go to the archives on, on Don Best, which is a little bit more cumbersome to look through. But he's the guy that like, he'll just spend hours at the end of the day looking at timestamps for that day. Or he may be curious about how, uh, you know, he remembered a move on an NHL game for from two days ago. And he'll go back and look at that. And he'll look through all of the line move and kind of like repiece it together of like, okay, here's what went first. Here's how it happened. Here's what I remembered when I was trading it, you know, where, but, he, but he's using Don best to help him remember it. Whereas like Jason, like, I mean, he just remembers it right there on the spot. What's, what's the most, what's the biggest lesson or the most expensive lesson you've had to learn? Like, was there a time when you were pretty sure about something and you ended up being like, wrong and i mean i feel like yeah that's how i yeah the most yeah. the most expensive lesson was uh pentacles the bible um for a long time you know and when we started in 2015 2016 pentacle was the bible i mean it just whatever pentacle moved their line to that was that was right that was it and you know we continued on with that into 2017 and 2018 for all sports and we didn't take into account the liquidity of the different sports and we got caught on so many manipulated lines, you know, and most, most of the time it was like, most of the time it was NHL totals and college basketball totals. I mean, we were, I'm embarrassed to tell you what our ROI was on college basketball and NHL uh, for 2017 and 2018. We were losing at like three and a half percent, which is, I mean, you throw a dart at a board, you're losing at four and a half percent. So losing at three and a half percent was crazy. That was an expensive lesson. Um, we had some really bad uh, seasons in those sports, but you know, you, you learn and, and it's, you know, we're a lot better at it now, but we, we still get faked. I mean, they, these groups, they're changing how they, how they fill these orders all the time. And we still get faked all the time. There's, there's a reason why we're only making 1%. I mean, we're just, you know, we get, it's a cat and mouse game. We get faked and then we get ahead of that stuff. We're not always on the right side of games. We think we are. And then a line will snap back. And then and that's another reason why I'm always trying to get risk neutral too. You know, like in that example where we lay seven, it goes to eight and a half, somebody pops up a nine. I want that nine because that thing is more likely to retrace retrace back to eight than it is to go to nine. That's a good point. I wonder, have you done, I, I wonder like, I, I don't know the, the technical analysis on like the line moves and stuff like that. I've always, I've always thought it'd be fascinating to actually really put a lot of analytics into the trading. But as you said, like groups are always changing things and it literally can be as simple as one group, you know, I mean, I, I guess from my experience in, in the world, like, yes, there, there, either can be one group that totally that is affecting a market in a big way. I'll tell you, I'll tell you why, you know, immediately, and you'll, you'll get this. I'll tell you why immediately, you know, that, that retraces and lines are over moving is because again, if our theoretical is 2% and we're actually only achieving 1%, then that can, if in based on our strategy, that can only mean one thing that means lines are over moving. 
when that thing goes from seven to eight and a half, then that means that the true value is not plus eight and a half. Even the true value is like plus eight and a half minus one Oh four. Because again, if we were achieving theoretical value, then that, that new line of eight and a half, even would be the neutral side, but lines are over moving. And that's the only explanation to why we're underperforming theoretical. Okay. So can I, I want to dig deeper into that really quickly. Why do they overmove? Presumably the originator is not going to be betting it. Let's say they, they know that the true pr price is seven and a half or something. They're not going to be presumably betting it further. Is it more people like that are more people like you that are essentially like moment, tra momentum trading um, that, that see that and push it too far? Is it people that are late to the party, but think it's still good? I mean, what is, what is moving it past that point where it's sufficient? I think it's all of those things. I think that, you know, the general public, they're still aware of line movement. And when they see a line move from seven to eight and a half, they assume that the minus seven and a half minus eight side is the right side to be on. You know, nobody wants to be on the plus eight and a half side as this line's move from seven to eight and a half. So I think that general public just betting Joe is still laying the eight as this thing's moving, you know? And then I also think all the subscription and tout services, you know, that and some of them are, you know, decent like RAS. I think their subscribers are over moving the plays. And then finally, I think that the sharp groups, you know, these, these sharp groups, they have betting partners that get down for them. I think that a lot of those groups, you know, like the sharp group may, may, may be playing at minus seven. And then these people that are playing the play for them, they get very result oriented on how they're doing. And they're like, geez, like these guys have been killing yeah. it. Like minus seven and a half still has to be good, you know? And like what they don't realize is minus seven and a half, like minus seven has to have a four and a half percent edge uh, on a college basketball side for minus seven and a half just to be neutral EV. Like it's the, the half point, everybody undervalues a half point, you know? So like, they're like, wait, they do, are you saying the set, wait, seven. the, the half point's worth what? Four and a half percent? Is that what you're saying? Yeah. For what? In what sport? College basketball side. Oh, oh okay. Four, so not four and a half percent. Like yeah, in terms nine, of push probability. Cents. No, 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 no. In terms you'll of, have, you'll, yeah, you think of it in terms so, of ROI. Yeah. Correct. If a line closes seven and a half, seven and a half minus seven is, you know, losing one cent. Yeah. And by the way, I just like in terms of the the betting partners, like I still remember we had a betting partner once who said, who said uh, after I guess, I mean he'd been working with us for two years or so, but but he said uh, he didn't want our golf in October anymore. September and November were fine, but we just didn't know how to win in October. So th there there are people that are not. Uh, I mean these people are susceptible to all these psychological biases that make them losing betters. Yeah. Yep. So can we uh, take a step back and talk a little bit about this concept of, of, you know, the market moving? Let's let's go specifically to golf, as we mentioned. So like in this world where, you know, you see this crisp bet um, in golf, these matchups move, are you typically then waiting to get down on the other side or when they pop, are you betting? Like, how do you how do you actually activate around that knowledge and, and watching these crisp? these crisp i mean what you should do is text rufus and say hey give me your bets before you move i'll bet the other side afterwards hey i'm here um well with golf in, in particular um you know like when people see chris move it's kind of a mad dash to to grab the places that that haven't moved yet um so we're just trying to grab the lines that haven't moved as quick as possible we're not we're not waiting uh, in, in that situation and like Rufus's uh, friends that over bet and Chris, like myself, 
Um, do they? Do you typically then take advantage of the fact that those those markets overmove, and then you end up betting the other side in the in golf or? No, the, the only time we're really betting the uh, other side. Well, I guess I, I guess it could be a situation where we've got so much on the front end side that we're looking to buy back. Um, but honestly, we don't do a whole lot of golf volume. I mean, golf volume is probably like 0.3% of our total yearly volume. Uh, and my traders aren't actively watching the golf lines. We, we may catch the front end of a move, but we're not actively monitoring uh, the line to see what it goes to, to see if we have a good buyback opportunity, because it's just such a small sliver of our business. Well, especially in, in Vegas, where I know you're centrally, you know, is your main hub. Um, yeah. There's not any real golf market in Vegas. Yeah, correct. So it is fair to say, because I've said this all along, that Rufus controls the golf market. So theoretically, the worldwide market. So theoretically, if he were the one moving things at Chris, then and the whole world reacts to them. Theoretically, I'm not saying you are, but theoretically, then I would be correct in saying that Rufus does control the worldwide golf betting market. Yeah, definitely. We, Rufus and I played golf together four days ago, and a buddy of mine came up to the table and I said, hey, meet the best golf better in the world. And I, I wasn't joking You're, he's full of shit no I, I, did I, I not say that i i actually you said, said that I you said were full of shit the 20, then too i said this on the tony kornheiser show which was why they are now what they're now like gonna not let your brother actually oh wait there was the story golf. about my brother's friend um yeah. or wait who who um this is oh, gonna be terrible it? if you try to retell it rufus oh uh, yeah i don't remember it exactly you, you probably do the story. But, okay apparently so but, wait wait my brother apparently was beating these people in these pools. But the funny thing is, I don't give my brother any golf picks, actually. So I don't literally was just doing it on his own. Picks. He does give me golf picks after they bet after he bets them. So they're always money. Right. Jeff, I, I, you should just literally fade fade my steam. Well that's that's that sounds vaguely question, right? because we've had we've had Rob Pizzola on this on this podcast and he's also a golf better and a lot of times his bets will be on like post Rufus betting will be against Rufus and the value is created by Rufus's mm -hmm. bets at that point. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the, an interesting thing is, uh, so Chris, um, one thing that they do is they don't offer many matchups pre-tournament that everybody else in the world offers, you know, like everybody in the world kind of offers the same exact matchup, you know, Kisner will be playing burger. Um, Hovland will be playing Morikawa. Uh, Chris, they offer like three of those each week, but then their other matchups or they have that matchup is the only one in the world that has that. I think that's got to be extremely valuable uh, for Rufus because guys like me, like, yeah, if I know Hovland gets Morikawa, I know Rufus is moving it. It doesn't do me any good because I can't go bet Hovland anywhere else. Yeah, but you can bet Hovland against Berger or someone else, although not this week because he withdrew. Yeah. <laughs> um, um, after, after he made Jeff lots of money last week. So yes, thank you, Rob P. Uh, so Sh Shane, what advice would you give to the recreational better in terms of understanding, like, like basically taking the knowledge, obviously they're not going to be able to set up the operation that you have and all this kind of stuff, but what are like three things that you would tell the recreational better based on what you know and, and, and sort of like what, what basically like leveraging the things that you know in your process, what would you tell them? Number one is have multiple outs. I mean, if you, if you only have one out and you're just at the mercy of one bookie, um, that's not good. And if you're betting like decent sized money too, like I have some friends that, you know, book and whatnot. And like, they just know, like, the, you know, they know that this one guy plays the nets every night, you know? And like, what do you think they do to the nets line? You know, like 
of course they like, you know, just like absolutely, you know, crucify the guy on it. Um, so I think you got to have multiple outs, uh, you know, that you, you know, you can chop around the best line. The other thing is, is like, you got to know how much a half point is worth and you don't even necessarily need to know how much a half a point is worth, but just know if the book is selling you a half a point, it's a crappy deal. They're not, they're never selling you a half a point for less than what it's worth. 99% of the time, Rufus is going to give me some random example that books undervalue some random line because of missed extra point attempts. But 99% of the time, if the book is selling you a half a point, don't take it. Wait, so I shouldn't buy the Super Bowl total from 50, I don't know, but what, what, what was it bought down to by, uh, by our friend on Twitter who bought it down to like over 51 and a half minus 150 or no, it was over 54 minus 150. No, you know 54, no. About? 51, yes. Zilbo? No, who's... Zilbo Baggins? No. No. Okay. Shane doesn't have time for your yeah. alter ego. Um, <laughs> so back to this concept of like what the recreational better can learn. Is it, would you say things like, you know, if, if, if you watch, like let's just say you watch line moves, right? And, and you have you have like, we'll plug the action network because they do have like, rel, you know, like they have free information on betting bets and, you know, like the, the actual, they have multiple sports books, they have a feed, blah, blah, blah. If, if you, if you can look at something like that and track how a line moves, let's say in a really liquid market, like the NFL throughout mm-hmm. the course of a, of a, of a week in your, in your world where you're saying like, okay, like let's say this thing moved from six and a half to eight and a half you still have all these people that don't want to get down, don't want to be on plus eight and a half. Doesn't that make plus eight and a half seem like it would have value? Yeah. In that situation, let's say an NFL line moves during the week from six and a half to eight and a half. Without any news. Without any injury. Without an injury. Yeah. 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 That's, that's really important. Okay. Um, I would tell them to like actively be looking for a plus nine and the plus nine is not going to be in NFL nine to eight and a half is worth like, Rufus can tell me it's probably four or five cents. Um, but the plus nine minus one ten is not going to be plus EV by itself. But if you take into account that the market has probably overmoved and you're getting a half a point better than the market, you're going to get pretty close to neutral EV. Um, so in those situations, again, barring no news, no injury, no weather that's affected a total, um, you know, I'd be looking for the opposite side of the move. And then, you know, ideally at a half a point better than the market. So you've, let uh, me ask him one more question, Rufus, because he, he's like the authoritative person to fun, to answer this question once and for all. Okay. Oh, wait, by the way, I have not, like nine is worth like 2.3 cents, that half point. So like, yeah, nothing. I know, I know so, it wasn't worth very much. <laughs> so do you believe there's a, there's all, all these like myths around a couple things, right? One, the concept of a reverse line move, right? Where the line moves opposite to quote unquote, where the sort of money is, blah, blah, blah. That's one thing that like, now we'll have a negative on the action network. That's like something that, you know, they, they spout on the action network as something that, that, that means something. Uh, the second is the myth of like, there being a sharp side and a square side. So would love to hear your comments on both of those ideas. The reverse line move, I've, I've never, I mean, I've heard the, the, the saying, I've never looked at it before. So it'd be tough for me to, to really comment on it just because that's just not what we do. We don't look at where the money is or anything like that. Um, the sharp side of things like, yeah, I think there definitely is a sharp side, um, but it's at a line that's not available anymore. You know, like uh, McNeese played Tarleton State the other day um, in college football. It was like division three or division two college football and the line open pick. 
and you know the thing started steaming and again it's not like we have a model that tells us tarlatan's good it's just we know the world's moved to minus three and some people still have minus one available so we're laying minus one minus one and a half minus two uh the thing close to three and a half and then i tweeted something just saying like you know we just hammered tarlatan state how crazy is that there's there's a college football game in february and some people replied to the tweet and they're like oh tarlatan state's like the sharp side and it's like well the line's three and a half now like yeah tarlatan state's the sharp side but now at like three and a half like neither side sharp you know like so there is a sharp side but like once like the market like kind of settles in like markets are just efficient you know like there at some point there is no sharp side like it's just like either side like flip a coin you know like sometimes like buddies will text me and they'll be like who do you like in this game you know and i'm like i don't know like flip a coin like they're there I don't, I don't like anybody in any game i just like either team at the right price have you ever seen like a line move and just I mean, I'm sure you've seen this, but give me some interesting examples of times you've seen a line move and it just doesn't make any sense to you based on what you know. Like, you know that certain groups are down on something, but then it sort of has moved back or moved against you. Um, have Like, give me, is are there examples of that? And like, have you ever been able to sort of like reverse engineer what happened there? Yeah, I think the, the best example is in the low liquidity markets. Um, like college basketball, full game totals, you know, like we know specific books are first to move. Um, and we'll see those books. Let's say the, the market opens 144 on a college basketball total and we'll see books start creeping up. You know, they go to 144 and a half, they go to 145. And again, these are our indicator books, you know, like these are the books that matter, you know, we'll see a book. And those are like, those are like penny. Who else? No, not, not penny for college basketball. Um, okay. College basketball is, um, small bookie sites that are still on screen um, where we know people are using a bot to play into, you know, 30 accounts. Um, it, it's sites like that. They're not playing this stuff into Pinnacle or Chris. And so because again, Chris, they, the limits are just so small now that, that on those. Total- yeah. And they don't, and they don't want to cause panic in the market. You know, like if they, they put this thing into Chris and they move Chris to 144 and a half, every single book on planet earth is going to 144 and a half, you know? Um, so they're playing these books. Uh, you know, and, and they're going it to 145, 145 and a half. And we're like, all right, this thing's getting ready to go, you know? And like, and remember too, like, it's a cat and mouse game. Like I can go hammer Pinnacle and Chris right now, but again, like I'm only going to get 500 bucks at each place. And then also the jig is up, right? Like this group is going to know that I'm, I know that when they move these books, that that's the right side. And then they're going to go do it a different way, you know, the next week. So again, like I'm trying to front run their order, but let not let them know that I'm front running their order, you know? So in those situations though, like you'll see pinnacle go to like 143 and a half, you know? And what that is, is like, they're betting under 144 for the full limit, you know, 500 bucks. And like, you'll see just crazy situations where like, you know, this thing's going over, you know, this thing's getting ready to go to like 148, 148 and a half, and they'll get pinnacle down to 142 and a half. And they're so, they're so good at what they do. And I, I don't know the, I don't know the, how exactly they manipulate it all and, and what is worth paying, you know, again, cause they're losing money, right? Like if they're, if they're betting under 144 minus 110 and under 143 and a half, like they're losing a lot if they think that line should be 148, you know? So it's gotta be a mathematical equation to them of like, look, we're going to spend two grand on the wrong side at negative 8%, but we know we're going to get 30 grand down. You know, like there's, there's gotta be an amount, a, multi, a multiplier of like, look, if we can get 20 X down, you know, on the over at other places, it's worth the manipulation. Um, anyway, so like, you'll see everybody start following Pinnacle and Chris, these other books, like they'll go to 143 and a half, 143, you know, and it's like, we just know what's coming. We're like, oh, this thing's about to rip, you know, and it's like, 
it's tough because like you kind of got to sit in your sit on your hands, you know, because like we don't want to go rip all those 143s because then the jig's kind of up, you know. So like then we quietly, you know, are trying to hit some of these 143s and 143 and a half, you know, and then again, like three or four minutes later, sure enough, this thing starts going, you know, and once it starts going, it's going. You know what I mean? Like they're they're clicking it in to Pinnacle and Chris, you know, on, on multiple clicks, you know, and they're hitting 144 and a half, 145, you know, and then this thing, I mean, your screen just looks like a Christmas tree. You know, if you ever looked at a Don Best screen, you know, yeah. it changes changes colors as lines move you know and then that thing just you know shoots on fire you know and it's it's beautiful to watch these groups that manipulate these markets but it, it's always in the low liquidity markets that they're doing this stuff in so you you mentioned like knowing this move is going to happen and sort of waiting but you've also mentioned that there's other groups doing the same thing as what you're doing is there a concern that someone else is going to basically come in and say hey i know what's going on here too i'm going to hit it at 143 before someone else you know I know it'll get down to 142 and a half, but I'll be able to get down. Like, I, I don't want to, you know, I want to beat other people to this. Yeah. I think, I think other groups, I think there's definitely resistance to the market. You know, you'll see that pinnacle line go to 143 and a half and you'll see it go to 143. And then like, you'll see the juice tick. You won't see it go to 143 and a half, but you'll see like the over go to like minus 114 on 143. And that's a group definitely like giving the other group resistance. And they're like getting in there and clicking it, you know, one time. Um, but I don't know, like, I know what's best for us. I know what's best for us is not to go hit that 143 at Pinnacle. I know what's best for us is when it's 142 and a half at Bet Online to not go hit that. You know, we sit on our hands. I, I, maybe other groups aren't sitting on their hands and maybe we're losing a little bit of money in the short term, you know, not catching the very bottom of it. But I think the long-term game plan, you know, has to, has to benefit us the most to not go like ruin it for them as well. And again, like going back to the original derogatory term of steam chasers, like this is why these groups hate groups like us, you know, like the guys that are the groups that are going and hitting that pinnacle at 143 and turning that thing into minus 114, like they're taking money out of the originator group's pockets. That's why they hate steam chasers. And that's why they hate groups that are reading markets like we are. What would you say to those people that, that hate steam chasers to sort of, well, what would, you know, what's your response to that? What's your I'm all about. I'm, I'm all, I'm all about long-term yeah, relationships. Yeah. So um, I want to be in this industry for a long time. You know, Jeff asked me earlier. He's like, you know, why are you in this industry? You know, how, how long do you want to be in it? Yeah, I want to be in this this industry for a long time. Most of these originators, I know them. You know, like I'm friends with them. I mean, there's some groups out there that you know that I don't have a relationship with. But if a group came to me and they were like, dude, like, is this you hitting, you know, X Y Z book as we're as we're you know manipulating this market? I would tell them truthfully, like, yeah, that is me. Or, hey, no, that isn't me. That must be somebody else. But if they're like, dude, like, you'd really help me out if you don't hit this. Like, honestly, like, I would obey. They, they know it's, if they know it's us, um, you know, hitting it, I would step out of it and, you know, bid our, bid our way out of it. Because I want to be in this industry for 10 years and I don't want to burn bridges with people. There, there's money to be made where they can still make their money and we can still make our money and everybody work, you know, in harmony. The goal is to take money from the bookies, um, you know, in, 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 in doing that, you end up taking money from each other a little bit, but there's a give and take to, you know, letting the originators manipulate their markets and get what they need to get done. And we still make our money as that thing moves. Are there situations where you like, where they'll come to you and say, are you moving this? Like, and there's a sort of a chance for you two to work together where you are able to essentially set up a price for them or something like that. Or is it, are you, is it strictly like, you know, no, you're like, okay, to, on my honor, I won't fuck up your shit. Yeah. Anymore. Yeah. When it comes to market manipulation, they, these groups are so adamant about doing it themselves. And, you know, they've got a nuanced way of how they want to do it and whatnot. They're, they're not asking us to help manipulate it. 
Um, but I will tell them like, Hey, look, like, yeah, that was me hitting it. I won't hit that book anymore. And that's, that's happened multiple times with multiple groups. So Shane is, is college. Am I right in saying that college basketball has the best originators or is there a sport that you believe has the best originators? Well, Rufus bets golf. Um, right. But we are, but the problem with golf is, is it's harder for you to deploy the sort of capital that you want to in, in golf. Right. Oh. Yeah, yeah. You're saying like Depends. what has like the best line moves that enable me to make money? Yeah, I would I would say I, that. I think I think college football does. You know, like college football, there's enough games on a Saturday that the books can't keep their line straight on all these derivatives of 125 games or whatever it is. Um, and the limits are great. You know, like college basketball, our edge is great, but the limits are so small. Um, you know, we're getting we're piecing together a bunch of three hundred dollar and five hundred dollar bets uh, where, you know, as in college football, you can click it a couple of times at, at a couple of books and end up with, you know, a 10K position pretty quickly. Um, so I, I think our edge is probably smaller in college, college football, but I think we make more money from it just because our volume is so much greater. What? So I'm curious, you, you mentioned your, your traders are there for what, from 6 a.m. till 10 p.m. Is that what you said? Something like that? Yeah. Like, yeah, I mean, they were, they work in shifts. They're not working uh, 14 hour days or right. 16 hour days. Right. Well, I mean, wait, what about the hundred hour weeks? You got to Jason, Jason, Jason right? puts in, Jason puts in some hours. So football season, he's definitely putting in a hundred. Back so, to the, back to wait. the traders for a second. Like where, where did you find these guys and like, what's their background? Like, so Jason uh, was a poker player playing poker for me. And um, he was playing like small to mid stakes and he was a teacher in Illinois and also a high school basketball coach. And he, um, we were just talking one day, and this is back in, I think, early 2016. He was like, you know, hey, how's poker staking going? I was like, oh, it's going good. You know, he's like, you working on anything else? You know, it's just like a random, you know, question, you know, and I, I've always liked Jason a lot uh, personally. And so he's like, you work on anything else? I was like, man, I was like, I am actually, you know, like I'm doing this sports betting thing. I was like, I mean, I'm doing it like five hours a week. Like, I don't even know if it's going to work. Like I'm making a little bit of money from it, but I was like, and he's like, oh, dude, he's like, I love sports betting, you know, and, and I always liked Jason anyways. And I just knew how hard he worked. I mean, even when he was playing poker, um, he was always like a 70 hour a week guy. Um, so I liked his work ethic. And that was even with having a, a full time job. The guy just works around the clock. And uh, he's like, dude, if you ever need help with it, you know, he's like, I want to be your guy. You know, like he's like, I'll come work for free. You know, he's like, I know you're not making much money. You know, I know you can't really you know, pay me a whole lot. So like about a month later, the conversation kind of resonated with me. And a month later, I'm like. I think that's my guy. So I called him and I was like, Hey, I was like, you know, come out to Vegas and, uh, you know, research this project with me. He's like, Oh dude, I was hoping you'd call me. So that was, uh, that was Jason. And then, uh, Dan, he was a manager for me on the poker staking side of things. Um, he played poker for us, but he was also managing and coaching my poker guys. And Dan's like, so Jason's like the guy that like could go trade on wall street tomorrow. I always uh, say about Jason, um, Dan's like the CEO type, you know, like he keeps everything organized. He's very tech savvy. He's great at relationship management, um, great at communication with, you know, partners of ours and stuff. Um, and he, he has a lot of qualities. He's great with accounting. He has a lot of qualities that I, I don't necessarily have. Um, and so when he was on the poker side of things and I kind of realized we needed a third guy on sports, Dan was just such an easy decision because I knew he brought the qualities that, that Jason and I didn't have. So their days, I mean, you, you talk about like what you're talking about is you know, all these lines moving and everything. It seems like there's a ton of action. How much of day is just spent waiting? Like nothing's happening, like waiting for these, some lines to move or, yeah, or the, is there, the are mid, you, what, what is going the, on during that time? 
the mid time of the day. Um, so line moves generally happen early in the morning and then right before the game starts. Uh, so Vegas time that 9 a.m. to 2 p.m. window tends to be pretty dead um, for, for all sports that aren't playing that day. You know, I'm not talking about a college football Saturday or an NFL Sunday, but a random Tuesday during baseball season where there's no gate day games, there's not a lot of movement going on from 9 a.m. to 2 p.m. And baseball season uh, specifically, I really encourage the guys to, to take off. You know, I'm like, hey, look, like we work so hard during football season. We work so hard during basketball season. Um, Jason, for example, he loves to play golf. So when, you know, when he's supposed to be on uh, in June midday, I'm like, dude, go play golf. Like you're going to sit around here for four hours. You're going to make two bets. The EV of those two bets is $22. Like, dude, go play golf. Like you work so hard the rest of the year, you know, like we, you got to like rest and recharge, you know? Um, and even like this time of year where we're in basketball season, um, it's still pretty dead where a lot of times, like the guys are taking an hour break to go to the gym, you know, and nobody's watching the board. Um, but we're not losing much at noon on, on a Tuesday, you know, for during NBA season. And I, by the way, I called bullshit on something before. I, I agree about the, like from my experience of the baseball betting. Yeah. The dead time of the day. It's, it's baseball is just a grind. Oh God. I'm so happy. It's, I, I'm so happy. I quit betting baseball. Just, yeah, it's, it's, you, I mean, to the point you made before about how it's, it's hard to be really good at multiple sports. I think 10 years ago I was betting NFL, college football, baseball, and golf. And I think in doing them all, you know, well enough to, to do quite well. Um, but markets get more efficient and it's it's def like i've realized you have to, lay, the, you future, have to lay like, the same juice oh sorry and you have to lay the same juice yeah yeah markets get more efficient yet it, the yeah. line is still minus 110 yep yep and i mean someday i think we're gonna i don't know what you think about the future but i think we hopefully will see some more price competition um but i do think with more efficient markets i mean i've realized that it makes more time to to it, it makes more sense for me to devote more time to making my golf stuff like bulletproof than it does to trying to hang on in baseball when I'm not spending a, a very, like a large amount of time on it. Yeah. Yeah. Makes total sense to me. I mean, you know, we have, we have some groups that we have one group in particular that specializes in college basketball, but when college basketball season is done, even March madness, they don't bet a whole lot. When college basketball season's done, they're done betting. They don't try to go figure out baseball. They don't try to go figure out college football. When basketball is done, they're done. And they kill it during college basketball. I mean, this is probably the sharpest group I know for any sport, but they know what they're good at. And they don't, they're not trying to go figure out some other sport. They just, they know that they're going to grind 90 hours a week or whatever it is. I don't know how much they work, but I think they work a lot during college basketball. And they know they have the rest of the year off for these other sports. You only have so much bandwidth. And on yeah, that exactly. note, on that note, I think we can let Shane go. <laughs> this is awesome. Yeah. This is such a fascinating. Like, I only got to like three of my seven questions. I well, actually had more written down, but we we got through most a, of them. Yeah. We just didn't go through them in the order that you did. I, I, I mean, I think it's fascinating just the the way that you attack this market. Um, and I, I think it's even more interesting to think about what the recreational better can learn from you because I do think there's more pearls there than than you realize um, in a lot of the things that you said and just reading the market. I mean, I think, you know, the, the, certainly the idea, like so, so many people will hand you a bet and, you know, it's moved out of range or something like that. If you're, you know, betting, a, following a tout or something like that and, and people still just bet it and they don't realize yeah. that that's not a good bet. 
And especially yeah. in some of these states like New Jersey and it basically, you know, with these newer books with all the promos, I mean, there's so many opportunities if you're line shopping where you can, you can actually, you, you can find our opportunities and, and actually get ahead without really risking a ton. Yeah. Like I'll give an example, like down in Biloxi, um, there's multiple books down there that like, if you're just willing to bet against the home teams, the saints, Ole Miss, Alabama, LSU, if you're just willing to bet against those home teams, like you're definitely plus EV every single week because they're just getting bombarded with all of those teams, all of those teams fans action. And like, you can just bet blindly against them. Same thing in Philly. Like if you're just willing to bet against the Eagles every single week, like it's incredible the opportunities that are there. They wait. So another books like William Hill able to have different lines in New Jersey. I know that one point they were then. Yeah. MGM as well. Um, There's actually a random book in New Mexico uh, and somebody could take advantage of this because, because we're not taking advantage of it, but New Mexico has this random fan base of Cowboys fans. And I, I don't know why, but there's this book in New Mexico that like, they are literally just begging people to come bet against the Cowboys. The line will be like, minus eight and a half everywhere i'm not joking they'll have plus 12 listed on the other team in this in this new mexico casino so if anybody ever wants, wants to take advantage of that and they're located in new mexico it's like a thousand dollar limit but uh you can get some pretty incredible opportunities there too by the maybe way i just want to say to new mexico sorry maybe a reason to move to new mexico yeah. i just want to say that uh your um will lutz jersey in the back is slightly triggering for me <laughs> Why do you have yeah. a little Lutz jersey up there? Uh, he missed a uh, a field goal back in 2019 that was a, a very profitable missed field goal. For It was not profitable for me, though. <laughs> was that the uh, sports betting championship, Rufus? The, the I finished third place one? Yeah. Shane, thanks for joining us. This is awesome. Definitely a different thanks. approach. And a lot, you know, I'm listening to you learned a ton. As, as opposed to what happens when I normally am on this podcast. <laughs> Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Always a huge fan of Rufus. Uh, and I, I'm a avid listener of the, the podcast. So it was fun to uh, come on it. Thanks, Thanks a lot, Shane. I, I really enjoyed it. And I think you're, it was definitely a, a de- like you bring perspective uh, that's different than most of the guests we have. So. Thanks, guys. Thanks. Talk to you guys next week.